Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we have a chat with Deshaun Carter, a dedicated technologist, an avid learner, and DevOps practitioner. We discuss his technology journey and the lessons he learned on today's episode of The Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every single episode is my ephemeral co-host, Brandon Johnson. How you doing today, buddy? I didn't know I was throwaway, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just have you on a on a timer, so you know every every two weeks when we record, I can I can just you know redeploy you. Okay, I see how it is. <laughs> that that would be kind of nice. Now, now that I think of it, you know, if you if you just have a bad morning or something, you just redeploy yourself and re- just start your day over again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Kubernetes cluster. <laughs> well, that's kind of a bummer. But our guest today is is pretty knowledgeable when it comes to Kubernetes and DevOps. So maybe maybe we'll run this by him. But meantime, let's jump into our sponsors and get right into today's interview. Today's interview is sponsored by none other than Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com DLN to check out their amazing service. With security breaches a regular occurrence now, experts suggest using a unique password for every account. That could easily be over 200 passwords. How do you remember all of those? That's where a password manager comes in, and the password manager trusted by the Destination Linux network is Bitwarden. You can get started on Bitwarden for free or unlock a suite of additional tools for just $10 per year. That's right, per year. That $10 will give you all the free features, one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, vault health reports, two-factor code generation, and priority customer support. If you want to make the smart move, get a password manager and make that manager Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com DLN. And thank you, Bitwarden, for sponsoring the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of the Mongo database as they become available. As a listener of the Pseudo Show podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN Mongo. Need more than just a database? You can use your $100 credit to try out all the amazing services DigitalOcean has to offer. Again, go to do co slash dln dash mongo to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB. And thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the pseudo show and the entire Destination Linux network. I've told the story a few times on the show how my career really changed the day I got involved with DevOps Days Kansas City. I was just a systems administrator. I was working mid-market. But things really changed when I attended the local DevOps conference. I ended up meeting a sales guy from GitLab. He helped me get hired on, which shifted my career from a systems administrator to solutions architect, now on to a technical marketing manager. So now now I'm not even a sysadmin, I'm just a marketing guy. But I started going to the meetups and course, before, before the world shut down for a year, I was starting to help plan the events. Um, and I met some really amazing people. And one of those people is Deshaun Carter. And he's our guest on this episode. So welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's long overdue. It doesn't, it's not overdue. It's right on time. But it's been on the <laughs> books for a while. And I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it has. I mean, we, you and I were, were talking about what kind of content the show was missing from a DevOps perspective. And about that same time, we got a whole bunch of interview requests and we had a, the solar winds thing. So you've, you've been really patient and, and I'm really excited to have you on the show. It's nice to get to interact with you. I realized during pre-show that you and I have not seen each other in person since DevOps Days Kansas City 2019. So I hadn't even started at Red Hat. The pseudo show didn't exist and my hair was a lot shorter. So, you know, it's been a while. It has been that we had or the one that that resonated with me. I was on this uh, kick about home lab 
reference implementation, home lab reference architecture, but then I, it turned into reference implementation where I was, everything was out of Git. And it it's definitely ties into some of the governance automation stuff that I was kind of doing with customers, but then bringing it home and just trying to practice at a level that my customers were practicing. I am so excited you remember that conversation because I definitely wanted to pick your brain for our audience because a lot of what you and I talked about really inspired kind of the reimagining of my my own home lab. But before we get too deep into that, I, I want you to introduce yourself to our audience and, and to Brandon. You and I have known each other for a few years, but it's funny how open source and DevOps are hand in hand and one can't really exist without the other, but how not always do those two circles overlap. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. I totally forgot about the uh, intro piece. Uh, my <laughs> name is Deshaun Carter. I work at Redis Labs, been here since October 19th, 2020, and I love my job. I'm a, I call myself a generalist. My role is partner solution architect. Yeah, the thing that keeps me going is I like seeing light bulb moments. That is what I get excited about. I enjoy what, it doesn't matter how mature the solution is. Uh, if I can teach somebody that alt tab trick in Mac OS where it switches between the apps, if I can teach somebody that and they see their face go, oh, then that's enough. Like just that moment of light bulb, that's what keeps me going. I am still every day trying to convince myself that the sacrifices that my parents made for me you know, while I was growing up were worth it. So yeah, I enjoy what I do. I don't plan to retire. I will do this until I can. You, you made a couple of statements there that really resonate. I mean, just the fact that you say, I love my job, that in and of itself is worth an interview because you knew me prior to the IT guy and you knew how burned out I was, how frustrated I was. And it was actually through that relationship and some of the contacts that I made that I came across GitLab and really changed up my career. And today I can happily sit here on this podcast and say, I love my job too. It's a lot of onboarding and, and transfer materials right now. A lot of meetings of, hi, my name's Eric. This is what I do. But I love what I do. I love who I work for. And if telling your story helps any one of our listeners make that kind of shift that you helped me make, I think this entire show would be worth it. Not, not just the episode, but the entire show. If That's honestly why we do this. Is I'm nodding my head the whole time. Yes, yes, yes. Brandon's over there just itching to jump in. I'm sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. But yeah, I mean, you know how I feel. This, that's why we do this show, is to influence the minds of engineers and systems administrators so they don't go through a decade of a career like I did before they can say, hi, my name is Eric and I love my job. Anyway, Brandon, sorry. <laughs> so, you know, Deshaun, that really resonated with me. I mean, I tell people this all the time. Technology isn't what I do, it's who I am, Right. I cannot be me without technology. It's as simple as that. And it's something I don't think resonates with a lot of people, especially when they haven't landed in the, what they want to do. I mean, like, you know, actually, it's a, that's a playoff of uh, one of my favorite authors. He used to say, writing is who I am, not what I do. It's the same thing. Yep. I framed that same thing several ways. Behind me is my home lab, uh, which right now is split as uh, the office for my kids. My oldest two are nine and seven. And while they're in this gap between summer school and fall semester, they are here with me during the day and they are working on technology. They've already, those two have already built their own Raspberry Pis where they did everything from putting it together to installing the operating system to, you know, make their background match theirs and hook up the printer, right? Who remembers all the hooking up printers? Like it's weird. <laughs> we have a laser printer over there. But they are doing all those steps. And it's just me kind of sitting next to them and watching them kind of collaborate. But they've got goals. Right now they're building something and, it, and I'm calling it an internship. They've got to learn how to type. They take a typing test and they get paid for it. They're building this, it's called a room monitor. And I'm happy to talk about this real quick. Oh yeah, go for it. Uh, it's Raspberry Pi Zero. I work at Redis, so it's going to have Redis on it. And what they are doing initially is it's going to have a couple of sensors on it. Audio sensor, so it'll record stuff when somebody enters the room. I got four kids, right? They were going to deal with that. So Laney entered into Logan's room and they, they're going to record it. But then they're also going to put a video camera on there. Video camera, we use OpenCV and we'll see, oh, it was Laney. Here is Laney. I detected Laney and do those kind of things. But then sensors like uh, air quality, temperature, et cetera, and they're going to connect it. They're going to do these things, but they're going to do it. The piece that they don't know about is that I'm also going to use that OpenCV and Redis AI to determine whether or not their room is clean. And if their room is not clean, there 
other devices will be disconnected from the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so this is all a big, like super dad, you know, trying to, I'm way overdoing it, but it's a goal. You're an engineer. That's, that's what we're yep. supposed to do. And you know, you talk about this is, this is it. This is how I roll. And yeah, behind me is all sorts of sensors and adapters and Raspberry Pi pieces and hundreds of keyboards and monitors and all the things that my kids are going to play with for the next several years. When they're done installing the monitors, they are more than welcome over here at my house to, to do the same because we've got four kids running around and, and having an argument monitor, I think would be great. No more, well, she said, yeah, but he... Oh, let's play the tape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you go to your room, you go to your room, I'm going to go ahead and play the tape and, and then we'll have another conversation. Let's see if your story changes. I will go watch the video. I am convinced that parenting should come with some kind of a legal, legal uh, well, instant replay would be great. Yes. But until that becomes commonplace, I, I definitely think that it should come with some kind of arbitration class because <laughs> I spend a lot of my downtime listening to both sides of the story and then having to make judgments and then having my spouse go, well, you know that so-and-so did that earlier. Well, I wasn't aware. I wasn't in the room. I did. So apparently that was... I can only make decisions based on the data I have. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, having said that, maybe this will resonate with you too. A lot of the lessons that I've gained as being a parent and coaching and all those things over the years, absolutely transfer to the types of conversations that I have with customers. Saying your customers act like children? Sometimes I'm not pointing any fingers, <laughs> but sometimes all, you know, the, the job is really just kind of listening, hearing them out. Uh, I've had somebody call it, you know, kind of technology therapy. Like really like, oh, that feature's not there. And they just want to be heard that, hey, somebody's listened to them. Somebody has listened to what they want. And I get it. I've been in that seat where I just wanted somebody to listen. But yeah, these skills, I think, transfer really, really well in uh, and, and both ways. Do you think that that's the norm, though? Because a lot of what I've seen, particularly on the customer side, is someone comes in, they've got a big fancy slide deck, they have a presentation, they have a schedule. And that's what we're going to stick to. And there'll be five minutes at the end, maybe, for me to ask any questions or to state how I feel as a customer. What you just described is almost a, I hate to use, use a cliche term, but kind of a servant leader type position in sales. I would argue that that's not really the norm out there, though, that the customer doesn't always get heard. So I will say that what I base my opinion on is if I put kind of these technical field solution architects, sales engineers into three different buckets, I'm really focusing my opinions on that most mature bucket and the things that I've seen there. I try to let the, the not great practices get out of cash, like get evicted and focus on those, those best ones. So yeah, that servant leadership, that is definitely a, a highlight. And I would call that sticking to the schedule and, you know, hey, let's go through these slide decks. I would call that an anti-pattern. I think that this role that, that I'm in, that I'm privy to is changing and it's changing quickly because it needs to. This is something that is important going forward for, for all of the businesses. There has to be somebody that can understand and figure out quickly how to deliver the right message. There's a time for the slide deck, right? And you know, I, I opinion is that that's early. Like, hey, we've, we've done the slide deck, you understand the product. But then it's gotta be more than that. It can't be the slide deck. It's gotta be a specific tailored message for that customer. Like, hey, here, why are we back? Why are we talking again? Because you learned something on that first pass, and now we want to do something specific. You've got to, an ask. You need help. And that's what we're here for. And it might not be something that I've already figured out for you, so i got to listen. And that's, a, yeah, that's, that's what I see from that top bucket of engineers and architects out in the field. I think that could even be rebranded for a systems engineer or a developer even. As technologists, we understand the magic incantations. We understand the wand waving that comes with making technology do what we want it to do. But someone who is a business analyst, someone who is, for a former systems administrator, maybe making all the cloud bits or the, the virtual hypervisors tie into the flux capacitor and connect to a database and engage the warp drive and recycle the stream so they don't end up crossing. We know how to do all of that. But I think that was like six different sci-fi references. So, you know, I pat myself on the back. Bingo. But uh, <laughs> a developer may not understand how all that works or a DBA or a business analyst or the person who has the vision for the product 
doesn't know, nor do they need to understand how all of those bits work. So instead of saying, well, I'm, I'm the engineer, I'm the developer, this is what I say, and so this goes, it needs that, that pattern needs to shift. It needs to, it needs to completely be turned on its head, really, so that we as technologists are, are servant leaders for those that have the vision, that, that see what the need is in the market that say, hey, I've got these four kids and we could really use this thing that would help. Now all of our kids and both the adults are, are all at home all the time, maybe not as much as it was a year ago, but I mean, it's definitely shifted the technology. It's definitely shifted the market and the technology needs to follow. So as, as a systems administrator, as an engineer or a developer, we need to be cognizant of we are there to serve those that, that have that drive, that have that itch to scratch. Because by fulfilling their needs, it really fulfills a need for us, even if it's just a paycheck. Yeah, there's a, a problem that I had. You know, this is kind of looking back. It wasn't that long ago. I was an engineer and I was, yeah, I don't know, this is my code and my code's awesome. And making those decisions uh, without really understanding the bigger picture, the, the systems thinking like, oh, well, there's the things that I'm doing have an effect outside of maybe my scope, my perceived, uh, you know, lay of the land. and making that shift, it was a, a huge moment for me. That was a huge milestone in my career is when I realized, you know what? I'm here to, I'm a, I'm a part of this company. We're all in this together. So it's not just what my company does. It's, it's everybody. It's you and I, it's this global community. We're all in this together. And everybody's kind of got their, their spot. But you know, in this business, I'm here, I'm getting paid to do a thing, make the business money, save the business money, save them business time. And I have to understand kind of where that starts and finishes. My wife would like to say it and uh, understand what I get paid for, right? And do really well at the stuff that you get paid for. It's not about, oh, I got a better idea for this project that I'm working on, right? Oh, I saw this new thing. It was in Russian, but it was React, I swear. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and, and implement it. That kind of approach, I've, I've done it, right? We've all done it. But now I just, I realize, you know, you kind of grow up and you realize, oh, maybe that wasn't the best idea. So there's that, absolutely, that understanding where you fit in, understanding what you bring to the table for your company uh, and what you're getting paid to do. That's an important thing. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what they get paid to do. Yeah, I kind of want to tie this into the, you know, our main topic which is DevOps. It, I mean, it links, right? I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, like, why did DevOps come about? I mean, the whole reason why DevOps came about is because developers wouldn't listen to system administrators and system administrators thought developers were just handing over buggy code, right? So they never talked to each other. They never, they never worked together. Developers just throw code over the fence and go, here you go, ops. Ops goes, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> and then dev ops goes, it doesn't work. And then dev goes, it works on my computer, right? It, you know, that was the whole, like the whole point was to start breaking down the walls, right? And break down and have communication channels, talk to each other, listen to listen to the business problem, listen to the technology problem as well, right? Yeah, you have a business problem, but can then can uh, the existing technology, not necessarily what you have deployed, even what you don't have, will it solve the problem, right? Yeah. And do the engineers, uh, whether they're ops engineers or developers, do they understand how to solve it and with technology? And if they can't, you know, communicate it. <laughs> and I have a really, really simple kind of litmus test. Uh, and it's, it's actually, it comes out of scar tissue that I have from my career. There was a point in time where we had that throw it over the wall, that big process and sys and ops and different floors. And I don't even know who's got the bits and who does the stuff. But I was asked to you know, make changes. And it was actually the CEO of the company stepped into my office. He said, hey, Deshaun, you know, I noticed on the website there's a typo. And where it's supposed to say the, it says t, right? That same t typo. <laughs> and I said, oh, no problem. Let, let me take care of that. Oh, here it is. Just typo. Yep, boom. And in English language, and I just kind of, I don't know any of the other languages. So I did the English one, and I fixed it, and I SVN committed it, just to put some uh, history on there. And, and I said, yep, I'm done. And he goes, oh, thank you. And he walks away. The next day, he comes back. He says, I, hey, I thought we fixed that problem yesterday. I saw you do the commit. I, thought, I saw. Uh, well, it, we'll say it was a Monday. And, and at this time, we had one of those two-week processes where everything gets bundled up for two weeks. And 
all the base gets pushed, all the things get pushed. So I had to explain to him, you know, we just started the cycle and this one will be included in the next cycle at the end of this two weeks. And then it's two weeks with that other team where they do their QA testing and the flipping and the page and they click this button and then click this button and they flip the page and then they click this button and they try this way and they try it that way. And then they send it to the performance team and it's two weeks later. So I don't know how to tell you this CEO, but that typo might not make it to production for three more weeks. So for three more weeks, he stopped by my office. He's like, Deshaun, it's just a typo. I didn't know enough about the ways of the world and it wasn't a mission critical, right? It's a typo. It felt like it was mission critical because the CEO was stopping by in my office to see like, hey, like I thought we were friends. I thought this was out. And that is the, that is the milestone. That's the event in my life that made me say, this is busted. Let me go find a better way. That was my introduction. Better like <laughs> understatement. <laughs> Fix the typo. You know, th- let's go through four weeks of QA. and uh... That's my limit test. <laughs> and then uh, and then the change window, right? Yeah. Any, any customer, if there is a typo on the main page of your product, how fast can we get that fixed? That's the test. Yeah, it should be fixed same day, right? And what I love about the goal of DevOps, and you can even pull in cloud, hybrid cloud, whatever, you know, is that fail fast, break often, as, <laughs> you know, that, that whole mantra. And it's okay. And it's okay to push to production, especially in the case of a typo. <laughs> yeah. And this, it all, for me, it all kind of crossed streams, right? Systems thinking where we had these kind of massive uh, artifacts that were being deployed. And, you know, this whole microservices conversation was starting to come up. There's also the service bus conversation was still going on, but we'd kind of already like gotten our scar too. We'd already kind of burned ourselves on that one. And that one was hot still. So we were kind of moving towards this microservices, but we didn't really know how to do it. So you kind of learn, but you being able to experiment is also a thing I think that I associate with DevOps, being able to say, hey, I'd like, Brandon, I'd like to take two weeks and I would like to deploy this thing, JXF or whatever, just to do an experiment. Just two weeks is all I want to do. And this is what I expect. This is my hypothesis on this experiment. This is why I'm doing it. So this is... Uh, the reason I, I like this is that you say, hey, here's the business objective, what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's my plan, right? That, that scientific method. Hey, I got a hypothesis. I'm going to test it and I'm going to validate it or, or invalidate it and taking that approach. But that's a big part of, I think, what I like to do and what I like to see. And I think that also ties in with this DevOps culture, DevOps philosophy. There's no right way. Anything that was perfect 12 months ago had better not be the exact same today, right? We are constantly, and I guess that's more an agile concept. We're trying to make things better. I argue even 24 hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. I have clients that, that push code 12 times a day, if not more, right? Oh, I was saying process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that, There, it should be as easy. If there was typos, yeah, it shouldn't be that we have to go through a process to do it. And that's where we get into this. DevSecOps, I guess, conversation where it's more about the automation around, you don't take the people out of the process, you just make it easier. You shouldn't have to have a bunch of people involved in the process, right? So if Eric finds a typo, he can, he can send it on its way and there'll be some gates, maybe depending on, you can, you can structure things different ways, right? If it's just text or display or, or a font color, something like that, maybe not a big impact. But yeah, having those checks and balances in the pipeline is awesome. Yeah, automation, like a, so you brought up automation. You know, automation's there to facilitate, make things easy. You know, it's not there to replace. It's there to, uh, meaning replace jobs. It's there to make things easier. You know, get out of, you know, we've said this before, get out of the toil, like especially if you're an ops, right? Get out of the toil and actually bring, instead of fixing things day to day all the time, actually developing new processes, developing better ways of doing work. My last systems administration job was a perfect example of this. I think, Deshaun, I might have vented to you about this company. I, I know I did with Brandon, but it was, it was so painful to get any change. We had an infrastructure as code platform in place, but it was used as like a fancy Kickstarter. And it's like you realize that we don't have to redeploy our cluster cluster every single time. You realize that we can just write a YAML file and 
nevermore do we have to deploy Gluster because we just run this one command and it's it's done across the entire enterprise. And guess what? We're supporting like 12 business units. They shifted to where operations was was a shared service, much like a lot of uh, HR teams and that kind of thing have gone to today. But IT operations had made that switch. So it was, it was prime for DevOps. It was prime for like an SRE type model. And we could, as an ops team, we could have defined one freaking YAML file that could deploy Gluster or deploy our database or deploy whatever thing we were deploying. And it would be the exact same across the entire enterprise. And you know how many hours that would have saved me in the year or so that I worked there? Dozens. And you know what I could have been doing with those dozens of hours over that year? I could have been learning. I could have been going for certifications. I could have been experimenting. Because we were talking about rebuilding our entire infrastructure over the course of like a decade or something. It's like a decade. We'll have to start this process over again. How about like two years to to get to to not change our infrastructure, but to change how we think about our infrastructure to instead of this is server and this is server A, we call him Spot. This is server B, we call him George. And oh my God, George just blew a hard drive. So now we've got to get George fixed. Instead, we don't care. Just blow it away, build a new one, deploy that application somewhere else and order the hard drive from because it's under warranty and and you're good. And guess what? That whole process took me two minutes. So now this problem would have taken me two days. What what am I going to do with all this time? And that is the the biggest misconception about DevOps and operations. And I mean, DevOps has been around for what, 15 plus years now as, as, a, as a concept, quote unquote. And it's still the number one thing. Automation, infrastructure as code, all these things are not designed to lose anyone their job. Instead, it's to do quite the opposite. To go from, oh my gosh, how many trouble tickets do I have open today? Oh, 20. Cool. And then eight hours later, well, I put a pretty big dent in this. How many tickets do I have open? 32. Oh, well, that wasn't great. And then come in the next day and do the same thing instead of, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to get to the office because we're, we're deploying this new template and it should save us X number of hours. It'll be so cool. I played with it in my home lab, get to the office and let's try it. The, all of these practices, and this is why I talked earlier about like, I want to practice. Uh, I want to have uh, an opinion. I want to have a well-formed opinion on why I think the way that I do. You know, hardware names, like, I'm old enough where I named all of my stuff, right? I had names, I had stickers, they had uh, personalities. You know, I had a data center in my house for a while and all the characters <laughs> from Futurama were represented by some physical <laughs> pizza box type server. Yeah, I've been there. And then a good friend of mine, he got out of our ecosystem and moved on. You know, he, he accepted new challenges and he was my, my DevOps whisperer. He's like, Deshaun, are you still SSHing into your production boxes? It's like, shame, let me show you a new way. And I was like, what? It makes absolute sense. I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. And I had that friend that kind of like showed me, hey, these are some better ways of doing things. And because we had the shared past, right, the way that we could always contrast it against what we knew jointly, right, what we did in the past. And, and it was great. It was a great exercise and it was a great kind of like hand-holding experience. This is where we get to that culture, right, of sharing what we know. I'm also old enough to know those engineers that they were excited because they were the only ones that knew how to do that thing and that thing that was you know, holding up the company, right? And they would hoard that information. And I can, I can say without a, without a doubt that people are more valuable when they share that information, share that thing uh, that's holding the company up and make sure that everybody on the team knows about that thing and knows how it works and how it's deployed, all those things. That's DevOps. For me, that culture, that handholding, that it's a change and sometimes it's uphill, right? It's you're fighting the current status quo, but that's where the growth happens. So you've hinted at it a couple of times and I'm itching to to open up this box for our for our listeners, but you have to tell us about about your home lab because this has been a passion project of yours since what, since you started in technology? Yeah. So you gotta tell everybody about your home lab. Yeah. So always I have always had a home lab. And I realize that my path isn't the same, or nor do I recommend it for everybody. But for me, it worked. The things that I did in my career, I was always aware that I didn't want to be pigeonholed. Uh, doing the same thing week over week, month over month, it makes me nervous. I get bored. I'll say that. I started a company when I was in college of just hosting. It was shared servers, you know, stuff here, stuff there. Server Beach, Rackspace, one-in-one, -one, or there's a bunch of these things. And I had stuff all over the place. 
And then I moved into like this whole data center that I had in my house. I was kind of like, oh, let me bring all that and I'll just buy the pizza box. I heard that Google uh, went down this path of they just had pizza box servers and something broke. You just yank it out and move all the stuff and put another one in. I was like, oh, that's cool. I can do that. And learning along the way. But I always had this like other path outside of my day job that I was using to learn. Over half of my customers always were open source projects and they were nonprofit customers. That's, that's where I found this low risk, high reward scenario because it didn't matter what I was doing, whether it was like a PHP forum, OS commerce to help these nonprofits. Like they didn't have anybody that knew how to turn the power off and then back on again. I was just making myself available in whichever way I could and just leaning on the open source to help these. So anyways, fast forward, I'm, I'm here, I'm doing this solution architect role and I, I knew how to power things up and got cool networks. So in my house today, I've got two networks. I've got one network, one provider coming in on one side of the house and I got another provider coming in on the other side of the house, just in case. One is a gigabit you know, capacity and the other is 50 megabit so that if something goes, we're all here at the home, but if something fails, my little router will flip over. All right, so it's a, it's a failover situation, but it's an automated failover situation. Yeah, there's no steps that are required. I had a bunch of like rack servers, older, but still, you know, plenty of beef. It was, ended up being like just shy of a terabyte of RAM and SSD all over the place and all the different kinds of RAID, but all the cool stuff because I worked for a company called VMware for a while. And, you know, I like to play with all the things and deploy all the things that my customers were doing, right? I wanted to learn uh, without taking time away from the customers. I would do it at home. Well, now I don't work for VMware and I don't want all of that extra power <laughs> being consumed for my house. Uh, and my kids are, are taking to it a little bit more. So I've got Raspberry Pis. I've got over 100 Raspberry Pis deployed in my house. Oh my gosh. And I've got five <laughs> Nooks, Intel Nooks, that those are used just for the Redis Enterprise, you know, for me to deploy the software in different configurations and just test it out. But one of the tenants that I, I picked up We've had this conversation. I like to redeploy things. So I try to make my home cloud, my private cloud, uh, as much as close to what I would do if I were in the cloud as possible. So they don't have names. They have MAC addresses and uh, they, they boot over the network and a lot of them are power over Ethernet and a lot of them don't have disks. They just, they boot up and they get their, their stuff over the network and that's what they do. They're just deploying little things here and there. And if I were to take one offline, I want that service or that app to run on something else. And now I'm working on this concept of, and I have it in some places, not across the board. I'm getting there. I'm just a little startup inside where I should have these things that are, are monitoring. So I've got these uh, services that are exposed to the, to the world, but there's no ports open in my house. But if those services aren't running and some uh, spinnaker, for example, is saying, hey, I don't see that thing deployed. Nothing's calling home. Spinnaker can stand it up in Azure or in GCP or in AWS and just make sure those services are running, right? Give it the information that needs, some YAML that says this thing is supposed to be running. It's not running in the home lab. Get it up and running somewhere in the cloud. That's it. Just that's the idea. So I try to treat that home lab, that hybrid cloud, if you will, multi-cloud, if you will, like I would see at an enterprise give it those mature features, give it that automation. Everything is driven from a GitHub. And my GitHub repos are synced. I've got replicas, you know, that are synced every whatever, 15 minutes across different clouds. So if GitHub falls over, uh, I still have access to my Git repositories. And all of my systems know where the primary is, where the secondary is, where the tertiary is. So it's just those baby steps of, yeah, keeping track of data, keeping things kind of Git ops driven from Git so that I can wipe it all and deploy it again. That's a practice from engineering days. I don't know where I picked it up. Uh, actually, I do. It was a, dang it, I can't remember. I had it for a second, I forgot. Uh, it was the first book that I got as an engineer. And the idea was like, hey, you write something, throw it away and just write it again. I was like, just one of the principles. You know, you talked about, yeah, the code that I wrote yesterday, it's probably not good. You could probably uh, use some help. I literally, looking at code that I wrote anything more than a day ago, uh, I was like, who wrote this? Can't blame. Oh, ooh, right? Oh, that was me. <laughs> that, I have experienced that more times than I care to share. So I try not to judge anytime I get into code because, yeah, you never know what was going on. Yeah, I have done that a few times. Who wrote that? 
oh no, (laughs) that was me. (laughs) So much to the point where I was upset. I was convinced that it was that person over there. I was convinced, (laughs) oh, I would never do that. They should have done this. And then it was me. Get blame. Oh no. (laughs) Let me me check the git commit ID. Yeah, wait a minute. So no, I got to change my password because somebody's in there mucking with my account. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you brought up hybrid cloud. I mean, this is a topic I'm very, very passionate about. I mean, you're going to say, Brandon, of course you like hybrid cloud. You work for Red Hat. That's all they talk about is hybrid cloud. But, you know, I actually think it's important. Explain why, and I'll ask my question. The reason why I think it's important is I work with Fortune 50 customers. There's a lot of legacy. There's a lot of different departments taking out the corporate credit card, going to Azure, going to AWS, going or IBM Cloud, go wherever. You know, they're going to whoever they can and going and deploying workloads. Either because you know they haven't adopted DevOps practices, so IT is slow. That's the well, or at least that's the excuse. And so there's a lot of legacy. There's a lot of you know multiple clouds being adopted. Or you might get a kick out of this. I heard somebody in the community the other day was telling me about how they talked to a company who is multi-cloud, not by choice, not because of any technological reason, but get this, because it keeps the expenses on their expense reports below a certain threshold so it doesn't get flagged. So they're multi-cloud just so they can so they can deploy different services on different clouds and keep it under the radar. Sorry, I thought I'd I thought I'd slip that in because <laughs> it 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 happens. It's yeah. So unbelievable, but it's out there. And not just from a cost perspective, like each each public cloud has their own advantages, right? Like Google, at least when Google first started in the public cloud space, that was where you really wanted to do data analytics, right? That's, Google was really good at that. Amazon, general compute. Microsoft really is more so if you were a Microsoft shop, more than anything. But Azure runs some of the more Linux than uh, I ever thought they ever would. My point is, is like, it's important. Going to the que- kind of the question, like, do you see that being a standard model? Because like on-premise isn't going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. So here's my, again, observations. What I think is happening. What I think is happening is companies realize they need to move faster. So they see there's less friction a lot of times in the cloud. And, and that's what I think the value of the clouds provide is that, that agility. So that's, just, that's a broad kind of opinion on why teams and, and workloads are moving to the cloud is because they need to get to their customers faster, right? We have to deliver this thing to our customers quickly and we can't wait for the mainframe update that doesn't happen for six more weeks. But mainframes are there for a reason. Mainframes have this efficiency uh, built into them. It's not about releasing code and it's fragile in a lot of cases, but there's this efficiency and these companies are built on them. So I see the value there too. And I think that once you've kind of outgrown that need to be agile, that need to move fast, I think that there's a maturity model where those workloads that needed to go to the cloud in order to get mature and, and become a real product, get past that MVP and get out to legacy, you know, where they're making money and they're on cruise control. That's when those workloads need to come back because they're cheaper to run in your data center on-prem. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think there's a lot of companies, I know that they're out there, right? I have seen that where they are bringing those workloads out of the cloud and back on-prem. But there's so many companies that haven't even gone to the cloud yet, right? They're still trying to get to the cloud. They're still trying to get to those agile processes because they've got the culture and the debt and all those things. So there's this, it's circular. And there's places where things are needed and it's a decision that needs to be made. There's not a one, one size fits all. Circling back to the home lab, you know, doing it hybrid. I got to ask, what are you running? <laughs> Hello world. Right. Production quality, hello world. So all I need is a website or a video or something. And the idea is that I just want things running. So any of little behind the scenes, like any of the demos that I do that I'll deliver to a customer, they're running right now. I learned along the way that, well, what I thought, my perception was, uh, I'd gotten introduced to these brilliant engineers, these brilliant solution architects uh, while I was at Pivotal. 
uh, in that first conference where we're hanging out. Everybody's got their, their backpacks and their laptops. As soon as we get on a topic, what about CICD, concourse? Boom. They all open up their laptops and they're talking, oh, here's my pipelines. Here's my pipeline. And everything was running and they had their deck that said, this is why our pipelines look like this. And they were ready to tell the story. Five minutes later, we're talking about something else. And, and here's my metrics. Yep. Here's how I do monitoring. And here's all the things. And here's all the, the tracing and analytics. And they, it felt like they had all of these demos running on their laptops, just waiting to demo to me. That's what it felt like. But I now realize it was just, I was trying to get to this bar that didn't exist, but I was surrounded by these people that were in that top bucket. You know, my manager, my leadership put me in the presence of the best of the best. And I, I'm super thankful for that. And that was just the vision that I had. I was like, oh, you have to be at this level. You've got to get these demos to where you know how to do them all the time. You, they're always running somewhere so that if my laptop messes up or my, uh, something's wrong, I can deliver it from my phone. Now, this delivering from my phone is something that I picked up while I was running my own company. I said, I started that company when I was in college. You know, when I got into the enterprise, I had this 47-mile commute back and forth uh, that I did with Carpool. And it was nice to be able to, let's leave 15 minutes early. I'll do the rest from my phone, right? While we're driving, you know, an hour and a half to where we lived. So that concept of being able to do things from my phone was a huge part. And that is actually a part of this DevOps story for me. You know, after kind of Kubernetes came on the scene, customers were asking for stuff and, and partners and OSS projects were being delivered with these Helm charts. It was nice to be able to, you know, go have lunch. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and deploy that Helm chart while we're sitting here having lunch. Oh, they, let's make it this size and, and doing these configuration options so that when we got back up to where we were collaborating, it was there. Things were just running. You're doing a lot of things that I, I did as an SA. Yeah. Like one of the things that I would do, especially like during the last year, like I'd start off the presentation going, all right, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to demo OpenShift. And I'd say, I'm going to hit start right now. It's going to deploy it and we're going to, and then we're going to come back to this. And I go, all right, this is where I'm going to show you guys. And then I go and show it like just five minutes later. And like, that's the kind of thing that gives you that wow factor, right? That That's kind of like in that, in the career part of our conversation, if we want to jump over to that, it taking that type of role to the next level by doing those little cool wow factors, just like it's little like it's always those little things that go, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But that's what we want to give to our customers, right? All of those cool tricks and things that I've learned along the way, all the conversations that we've had, that's what I want to bring to my customers. That's what I want to bring to not just my customers, to everybody, right? It's not just like what's in my bag. It's, it's like what's best? Like what can we do together to move forward? And sharing those kind of experiences, right? Sharing those like, ah, yeah, I mean, if it takes you two weeks to stand up your your cluster for whatever, I get it. But I know and I can speak to others from the community that have done this and, and they could probably do it, you know, in the cloud in a day, you know, and that's with all the approvals and with all the stakeholders involved and signed, sealed. Yep, here's your subscription and your PO. Go do the things. To be in a place like that, and I remember too, being an engineer. And, you know, hearing the stories about all of the other companies and, and all the cool things that they were doing, I realized that every, there are some really amazing stories from all these companies that we work with that we hear about. It's a team. And it's that team that's in that top bucket. It's that team, that one team that's on stage telling their story. And this is how we do it, right? And they are so proud. But there are two more buckets of one of them is like, eh, we do some of those things. And then there's another bucket that's it's the wild west. Like, I don't process. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm pushing to prod. Yeah, I'm, I'm living on prod. Here's my terminal open on prod. There are three maturity buckets at all of those companies. Any company that you pick, then you've got that shining example of what could be. There is somebody else in that exact same company you do not want touching your production. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all about the filters, it's all about how we kind of look at things. So I wanted to pick your brain on something because you and I are very similar and Brenda too, even the three of us should probably start a support group because I like something you said. It was basically that you are, I want to butcher this, but basically you're a technologist first and you just happen to get paid for being in technology. And I think Brandon and myself would, would echo that as well. What we do during our day job, we take home. I may be talking to a bank during the day about, about their Red Hat Enterprise Linux container journey. And then at night, 
I'm maybe I'm setting up a Minecraft server for the family, but it's running on RHEL and it's using Podman as a container platform. It's always and, and, and like Brandon said, he's he's nothing without he he's not Brandon without his technology. And I think the three of us kind of agree on that. So here's something that I've I've struggled to answer for myself in a succinct way, something that's measurable. How when that is your existence, when you live and breathe technology and sell, uh, maybe not selling, but just kind of sharing with others your technology journey, how do you stay motivated? Because you, my friend, are one of the most positive people I know, and I, I've not seen you struggle with this. So what, how do you deal with the burnout? What do you do to get away from all this? I'm getting better about this, and, and Brandon actually keeps me accountable sometimes where it's just like, you know what? I'm fed up. I've had enough. You're not going to see me on chat all weekend. I'm not going to power up my server. I'm not going to power up my desktop. I'm just, I'm done. I don't want to see another terminal for the next three days. How do you, do you have a system? Do you have measurements that you follow that says, eh, we're kind of in the yellow here. We don't want to get to red because that's burnout and that's not good. So we need to do these things to kind of get us back into the green, get us back into that, into that mode where we're really thriving and excited. Yep. And we, we touched on it. It took my wife. I, I will first admit that I have been burned out. Not as bad as others, uh, but I'll admit I've overdone it. And I will admit that I've, I've even gone through depression, you know, where it's like, oh, this is hard. Like, am I doing the right thing? Maybe I just need to uh, let my wife go and have a career and I'll stay home. Like, I've, I've been there. And there's some point along the way where she just said, what do you get paid to do? Just worry about that. It's like, okay, that made sense. And that's kind of like, get me out of the funk and I get it. There's another piece where I had to make a change. It's easy to get overwhelmed by all of the things that we have to learn. And especially in this kind of solution architect role, but I think it, it just as an engineer, especially these enterprise companies where, uh, oh, that, that team over there, that team that's up on stage, that shiny example of what we do here at big company, right? And there's somebody else who's like, what? I can't even think about that. I can't even fathom what that's like. And I'm in the same company. I'm just on a different floor. Like, I can't even fathom what that looks like because my experience is completely different. Right? And there's so much to learn. They're so far away from, from having the experience where that actually matters and is valuable. And there's a point where I had to stop looking at things at, as, hey, you've taught me something. Or there's something that I don't know that I need to know for my job. And it used to be that I was like, oh boy, I've got to go and learn this. And I've got to learn it by Friday. And I'm going to have to demo it on Monday. Like I am overwhelmed because there's something here that I don't need. And they just said some three-letter acronyms that I've never even heard of. I have so much to learn. And taking that from being like a panicky, frustrated feeling to flipping it and saying, oh boy, I've got some more stuff to learn. Spin up the server. I'm ready to go. <laughs> but realizing, again, when I came into this role, switching kind of the, to the, the vendor side of the equation, when I came into the role, I had no idea what I was getting into. I, you know, my first interaction with my peers they were amazing. They're brilliant. I was like, I'm never going to compete with these guys. Like, there's no way that I'm going to be at that level. But I had somebody kind of point me in the right direction, made me feel supported and kind of showed me, hey, well, what if, why don't you try this? Yeah. And slowly, instead of that, that panic around, hey, this is what I'm having to do. It was, hey, this is what I get to do. And I was looking at my career and what I was doing as purely personal growth, 100% personal growth. I kind of adopted this, this mindset uh, with like my health and just trying to be better than yesterday. Learn a little bit every day, right? From, you know, that's just like a kids. And I tell my kids like, hey, just, just keep on learning. You know, we talked about the typing and the home lab and do the things. Keep on learning. Just be better than you were yesterday because that can't go away. So kind of combining those two things to then making it deliberate, like taking and blocking off time. I'm going to practice my demos. I'm going to walk through not all of them. I'm going to practice one. I want to make sure I, I still have them. So I got a list of demos. I got a list of things that I'm ready to demo anytime that are just up and running. But they, they get practice. And I'm, you know, it might be the exact same way I said it last week. It might not. Maybe I've learned some things since last week, but I'm always updating, always iterating on that's my product is those demos, those talk tracks. And that's what I do. That's this. So it's deliberate practice and all the things that I try to do. It's understanding that I am blessed. I have, I'm lucky to be in this role that I'm in. So I need to be thankful for that. Former 
leadership kind of said it was like the one, the lottery of life. Like there's, I know that there's tons of people that have worked way harder than I have and they deserve this job way more than I do. So I'm thankful. So what I'm trying to do is share that back. Like, let me share you the sheet codes that got me here. I don't want you to have to bang your head on all of the scar tissue and all the things that I made a mistake on. Let me share that to hopefully kind of like payback karma, you know, all the, the lucky and the help and the leadership and the guidance that I had. I want to be able to make myself available and share that back out. And that's kind of the core of the juice is uh, the phrase, join us in creating excitement. I love what I do. I started off by saying that. And if I can get somebody else excited, that light bulb feeling, that personal growth is something that I think it's overlooked. There's a lot of colleagues, friends, associates where they're looking to make a change. And a lot of times they always start, well, I got to make this. Whoa, whoa, why, why are you bringing that into the conversation, right? That's not what, that shouldn't be the start. What, what do you want to feel, right? We're people first, right? What do you want to be doing? Like, feels so weird every time I ask the question, what do you want to be doing in five years? It's like, like, am I interviewing for a job in, you know, 1995? <laughs> like, what is this? What are, you, what, are you, what are you even doing? But I asked that question for a reason. Do you like what you do? Like, if you, your day that you had today, could you do that same day over and over again for 60 days in a row? Today, just think about just today. I know that I could. I know that the conversation that I have with my manager today was awesome. We went all around and mind map and all the things. I know that the conversation I had right after that with one of my peers was awesome. Like, and I can say that about yesterday, the stuff that I do day to day, and there's, there's tough days, but I'm framing in a way like I am growing in this role and that's exciting. So this, these other talk tracks, whether you're an engineer or you're an architect in the field or whatever, there's like, there's cheat codes and not everybody shares it, but getting back to DevOps, I think that's part of it is sharing that experience, changing the culture, right? And I'll, now I'll talk about some things that, that I don't like to talk about, but all of the gatekeeping in tech and not just like, you know, product delivery tech, but also like infosec tech, like the, the all of the gatekeeping that exists, I, it's frustrating and it needs to go away, right? I even like hesitate to say gatekeeping in my CICD pipelines because it feels like, oh, wait, I don't, I don't like that. Like, let's see what we can do. Yeah. So it's, I'm at a point where I think that I can maybe affect some better outcomes for not just, you know, the people that I work with, but for others, you know, through channels like this, just by having a different perspective, you know, and knowing that we are a community, like, this conversation, uh, again, my mind is going all over the place, but just trying to get a little better every day and trying to understand, improve my understanding so I can share it with others. That's how, what it boils down to. There's, I'm old. I'm getting old. And I'm at this point in my life where I try to boil things down into these. That's like, no, it's just this. This is the phrase. And this is what it means, right? The African proverb is you, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Like building these. Pithy one-liners, as uh, Andrew Clay Schaefer would say. It's like building that, that library of these are the things, these are opinions that I have, and this is truth, and they're always fuzzy, vague, but they work. They work for me. You know, they work, it's this kind of shared context. It works for my kids. But then it's things that I can just lean on, that I can just say, and that's where I'm at. That's awesome. We often measure the success of one of these interviews by how closely we stuck to the outline. And I am thrilled to say that this, this has been an amazing conversation. I think we went off the rails about two minutes in. <laughs> so I'm really glad that, uh, that you joined us and, and shared some of your thoughts. And I, I know based on the number of hours you and I have spent either online or at meetups or conferences talking that, that we could cover a range of a thousand different topics and it, it would all be encouraging and it all be helpful. But if you wanted to say one thing, if you wanted to, to give our listeners just one thing to work on in the near term, in the next two weeks, in the next month, that would radically change the way they look at their job, the way they look at, at where they are in life, if there's just one thing, and it may be cheesy, but, but we, we embrace DevOps. So we, you pick one thing, you fix it, move on to the next thing, you fix that and you look back six months later and go, oh, wow, I'm definitely not there. So I may not be there yet, but I'm definitely not there. So that's good. What would that iterative thing be to chair? Yep. And this, I think it, it covers a, a broad range of uh, topics. It's got a big scope. Keeping track of the little wins. That's it. I'll just keeping track of the little wins. And the, the framing that I'll put around it is at the end of the year, 
when you're doing your review, your boss, and this is scar to you, your boss says, hey, what did you do this year? <laughs> and, you know, being an engineer, for 15 years, I lied to myself. I thought that, that my manager, that my leadership, my peers, they all looked at every commit that I did and they, they saw the documentation that I was providing and they saw my get commit messages and they knew that I was delivering high quality code, whatever that means. But I was convinced that for 15 years that that's what was happening, that my managers knew exactly what my code looked like. And I was frustrated. I thought that I wasn't you know, getting the opportunities that I wasn't getting because they didn't think that my, my stuff was good enough. So I dug in more and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do even better. And I'm, this next thing is going to be even better. But what I wasn't doing was keeping track of the little wins. So somebody, you know, kind of framed it this way. Keep, keep track of everything. Keep a log. Keep a, hey, this week I did this. Keep track of every little success and failure that you have along the way. So when your boss asks, hey, what did you do this year? Oh, let, where would you like me to start? Would you like the 20-minute version or the two-hour version? Because I've got it all right here. And that's for your career. That could also be for your product, your team, right? That path to production automation. Like what are the little wins? What are the decision trees, right? That decision history is something, it's a practice. I don't know where it fits exactly, but I know that it's valuable being able to come into a new team, into a new OSS project, a new vendor project and see a decision tree. Why is this an option? Why is this a command line option and not this? Why are these decisions being made? It wasn't like that a year ago. What happened? And being able to come in and get leveled up and be level set, ready to move forward because you have that information. And again, whether that's for your career, right? Having those notebooks, you know, that's a a lesson. I don't really do the notebooks anymore, but I am keeping track of these are the things that I did. Yeah, I don't write those anymore. I'm I'm literally, I'm using Trello uh, more and more. Oh, yeah. And I'm keeping track of every little thing along the way. Good, bad, it's searchable. I'm using labels so that I can say, oh, yep, this is this type of thing. Or maybe there's five labels on it because it, you know, cross paths. But yeah, keeping that information out, putting it out there so that when it comes time to, hey, how many times did you do this thing? Well, let me go look. I have all of the information. Every context switch that I do during the day, kind of keeping track. So I don't have to keep my hours or anything, but it's nice to know what was I spending time on? How much time was I spending on things? Yeah. Education-wise, personal education-wise, or uh, public-facing, or customer-facing, whatever it is, knowing like, hey, where are those buckets? And if I want to make a change, it's good to have that data to base your decision off of in order to make that change. Like, hey, I would like to do more whatever it is. Here's what I was doing. I make this decision at some point to change, and here's what I'm going to do based on the data that I have. However you want to frame that. That's my key is like taking notes, capture those wins. Yeah, we have release reviews, we have outage debriefs, we have annual reviews, we have KPIs and all these other all these other acronyms that we track at work. But I came to the conclusion probably a year ago, maybe two, that I didn't really have anything like that for myself. It's just none of the kids are, are bleeding. Everyone's dressed and clean and, and I went to work and I got a paycheck and I guess that's success. And oddly enough, this manifested itself in in kind of an interesting place. And I've started implementing that myself. My entire life, I have been an avid reader. I love books. It can be fiction, can be nonfiction. I don't care what it is. I love to read. My iNo reader app on my iPad, my, my RSS reader, I actually have a paid subscription for an RSS reader because I love digesting content and reading whether it's blogs or tutorials or books or productivity tips and tricks, I, I love to, I love to digest material. And where that kind of manifested itself was getting into a routine of reading articles, putting it into my backlog, reading it when I've got fifteen minutes, read two or three articles. But as an exercise, I actually went through and started compiling a list of books that I wanted to read. And now that book list sits in my to Todoist which you, you use Trello. I, I love Todoist. I know that's a big shock to Brandon and everybody listening. But And it dawned on me that just from going through the, the just lists that I'd written down on scratch paper or put into a note on my phone, when I compiled all that down, I had a list of over 60 books that I wanted to read. It's like, oh my gosh, I claim to be an avid reader. And yet I have all these books on my backlog. And how much, how much have I actually progressed in that over the past year or so? Well, the answer was one or two books, maybe. So when I when I realized that, I, I actually kind of dipped into my DevOps bag of tricks. And it's like, okay, let's, how many books do I think I can read in a month? 
let, let's not try and set a year goal. How many can I read in a month? Well, it depends. So I actually have all of those books in my backlog. And then the book I'm currently reading or books as it usually happens, I'm usually reading something for fun and something for, for either parenting or work or something. So I, I usually have two, I actually have an audiobook. So I have three in, in progress right now about various topics. And every chapter, when I start the book, I create a subtask for every chapter. And I go through and every time I start a new book, I schedule a chapter every workday. Weekends are too unpredictable, but on workdays, I read a chapter a day during lunch. And he did air quotes for the audience that lunch <laughs> was in air quotes because who really has lunch time, right? I, I don't ever take a lunch break. It's, it's whenever I realize, oh, I have another call in 10 minutes. I should probably eat something. But uh, usually kind of in that break between all the morning meeting rush and the afternoon focus time, I, I usually break and I'll read a chapter. And to date, I mean, we're about seven and a half months in into the year. And I've probably read probably close to 10 or 12 books. And granted, my list hasn't shrunk all that much because, you know, you read two or three books, mark them off your list, and then somebody hands you a list of like, well, you'd love these four books. Like, well, great, thanks. But I'm I'm making progress. I feel like I can I can put in my in my my elevator to pitch to people of, yeah, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. I I wish I could love paper books, but my interest varies far too much. So I I live on my Kindle, but I love to read. And and it's funny how what you were describing kind of mirrored that as well of I enjoy reading again and I'm I'm actually reading instead of saying, yeah, it'd be nice someday. And there have been times where it's like, okay, you know what? I've got kids are asleep, wife's watching her show. I'm going to play a video game or I want to watch a TV show that I've watched a hundred times. No, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to crawl into bed and, and read for a couple of hours. And that has been such a change in how I feel about about my, my personal health, that I get to do something I love and I'm, I'm measuring it. The measuring piece, I think, is important. Just like I said, you know, measure the things. You said KPIs. In my weeks, I like to take a week. I like weekly sprints. But even with my life, I like to like plan a week at a time. But anything beyond that is like, who's got time for that, right? <laughs> but just like understanding these are the things that I want to get accomplished. So start the week. Like these are some things that I'd like to do, whether it's read five chapters, but then adjusting it over time. Our, our good friend Aaron, you know, he started doing the, the studying 20 minutes a day. Right. And he was doing everything. And I was like, that is awesome. Right. But it, whether it's studying or learning or reading or fitness, getting those, those reps in, right. It's important, but just like having a plan, being able to check things off, uh, whatever the mean time to dopamine is something that we haven't talked about, right? Like it, it's good to get those dopamine hits when you accomplish something so that you can go into the next one. So you don't want to have it, you know, oh, eh, someday I'll get to it. Like that doesn't help you get things off the backlog right? You have to make them attainable and repeatable. And hopefully there's some personal growth and you'll get that dopamine hit and you'll, you'll do the next one. You want to get better. So that's the idea. So as we're kind of coming to a close, uh, there was something you wanted, you did want to mention, and that would be our sponsors, Bitwarden. Yeah. We've talked about this kind of home lab reference architecture. Uh, secrets are important. You know, if anybody's ever handed you a secret, you said, no, you just, just bat it down. Uh, I'll tell that story later. Uh, but it's the idea of I want to have my secrets taken care of. I listened to one of your early shows and you introduced me to Bitwarden. It wasn't on my radar. Uh, I was using another service and I was like, oh, some of these things make sense. But why am I not using Bitwarden? And I went, I, I took it for a spin. But now all of my home lab, all of my automation in my house, I have implementations of Bitwarden. You know, as part of my DurandV, when I'm doing live streaming on Twitch, in order to keep my secrets secret, my automation is calling out to Bitwarden's API to pull in the secrets for my automation. So yeah, I have completely switched all of my secrets information over to Bitwarden, and it's because of this show. I, I know, I know, we've got a few listeners over at Bitwarden, so I'm sure they'll love to to hear about that. In fact, we're talking about doing an interview with Bitwarden, so I might uh, might reach out to you and and uh, and get some kind of uh, some kind of content from you to to share with our our listeners because secrets management is a huge issue right now, as we all know, and just trying to trying to keep track of all of those secrets and then to be able to use it in a meaningful way other than just copying and pasting out of your out of your vault. It, it's really cool what you could do with an Ansible playbook and a call to Bitwarden and how secure you can make that. Yeah, the, the best place for your secrets is on GitHub, guys. Come on. <laughs> right there in your code. <laughs> if it's encrypted. <laughs> yeah. 
Base64 encrypted, right? Plain text. Come on, guys. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> What's the worst that can happen if it's in plain text on GitHub? <laughs> so, uh, Deshaun, I think, I think I've got a co-host spot opening up here because I might have to fire the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. I'm a fan. Well, I am really, really f- glad that you joined us. This this was an awesome conversation. And much as I promised Brandon, we were all over the place. So I'm I'm glad that you joined us. And it was a great conversation. It was great to to get caught up with you and, and to, to swap stories again. And uh, so, you know, here here soon, in-person events will start to start to take place again. And we'll, we'll get to hang out. Uh, but in the meantime, is there anywhere you'd like to send folks? Maybe this twitch.tv slash Java Grunt. Every once in a while, I like to just hop on and uh, live code. And I'd like to invite you guys. There, there are several topics that I, I'd still like to discuss whenever we get the chance. We can have a virtual coffee or, or whatever. There are several topics that we've kind of touched on today that I would like to dig deeper into for sure in the near future, not six months out. So I'm so glad you said that because, you know, shameless plug, we have a pseudo hangout once, once a month at different times where we, Brandon and I usually jump on a, on a Zoom call or something and we've, We've got a whole, uh, we've got a growing community of folks that jump on. There's no scripts. There's, there's no ad reads. There's no, uh, I don't have to do voiceovers during the intro, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a great time once a month to just virtually get, uh, get in touch with different technologists and, and you and all of our audience and, and anybody that hears this is more than welcome to attend. Wonderful. So we didn't pay Deshaun to say that, but uh, I'm so glad you did because it allowed me to plug Hangouts, which we have coming up here in just a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to join you and and uh, we'll have to have you back on the show again. I'm looking forward to it. Sorry, I cut Brandon off again. I've been doing that all recording. It's okay. Eric's fine. It's okay. I was going to say that Pseudo Hangouts is is on July 29th. Eric posted incorrectly on Twitter. So it is on July 29th. <laughs> I'm putting it on my calendar. I'll send you the details. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over on pseudo.show or on social media at pseudo show podcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, is there anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.